in spite of all the darkness, in spite of all the sinful deeds, Jesus reigns. He is the sovereign king of the universe. And as bad as things are, we think, as the days grow, draw closer to his coming, they will get worse. That we're told. But we have overcome through Christ. We've overcome the world, the flesh. We've overcome the devil. And praise be to our God. So let's, let's bow for prayer and ask the Lord to bless as we look into his word this morning. <clears throat> Our Father, we come to you this morning knowing that we are not deserving of any of your goodness, of your good gifts. What we deserve is punishment and hell. But you, by your grace and by your mercy and great love with which you have loved us, have saved us in Christ Jesus. He is our King. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. Our Sovereign God. And so we come to you this morning knowing that you have all power. Knowing that you know everything. Knowing that all that that happens is in the confines of your plan. And Lord, we trust you and we love you. We ask this morning that you would fill us with your spirit. Give us a true sense of your presence. As we have gathered here today to worship you, to praise you, and to make much of you. These things we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn with me to John chapter 8, if you would please, in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew in front of you. John chapter 8. You'll find it in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. This morning our our text comes from John chapter 8, verses 37 through 47, and we may not actually cover all of that passage this morning, but we will, what we don't get today, we'll pick up next, next time. Beginning at verse 37, Jesus said, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me 
a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your, that your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, we've been in this passage for quite some time. This whole whole passage where Jesus went to the Feast of Booths and all of that that's transpired. And this is still at the very end of that. uh, Very end of that time of the Feast of Booths. And all that has transpired over these weeks that we've looked at this passage happens in that one last evening of the Feast of Booths. And so as we continue... To look at this passage, we see that Jesus is still speaking to the Pharisees and teaching them the truth about who he is. He has presented himself as the one true object of faith that will both save one from their sin and give freedom from the bondage and dominion of that sin. The Lord offers, the Lord's offer of freedom from sin's prison was met with disdain because the Jews' heritage, of the Jews' heritage going back to Abraham. They felt slighted because of his words. But we come now to a, a, there is a pivotal moment. In the making and what we see in this passage this morning. That will finally expose the true lineage, the true heritage, the true descendancy of these Jews. And consequently, of every other single human being on the face of the earth. In verse 31 and verse 39... And verse 41, they claim Abraham as their father, to which Jesus acknowledges in verse 37, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. In fact, Jesus uses the same word that they used in verse 33, if you'll back up just a little. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. Jesus uses that same word, offspring. To acknowledge the fact 
that they are, he knows they are the physical descendants of Abraham. He realizes that and he acknowledges it. But they are not from Abraham's line spiritually. They do not believe like Abraham believed. They do not do the same works that Abraham did. Because Abraham believed God and his faith was counted as righteousness. In Romans chapter 4 verse 3. Because they were the descendants of Abraham, they were privileged more than any other people on earth. Why? Because they had the knowledge of God given to them. Remember, God called Abram and told him, Get out of Ur to a place that I'll show you. He did not call the others from Ur, that pagan city. He called one man. And from that one man descended a nation that would God would call his own. We see it in Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, to, Paul says, what advantage has the Jew? Or what value is circumcision? And then he says, he tells what the advantages are. He says, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. It was to the Jew that God gave his word. So now the responsibility before God is heaped up on the Jew because they were the receptors of God's word. Romans chapter 9. In fact, turn with me to Romans 9. This is why we bring our Bibles with us so that we can so that you don't have to take my word for what it says you can actually see it for yourself. Romans chapter 9 notice verses 4 and 5. The apostle Paul is giving the argument here of God's sovereignty in choosing choosing Israel Jacob I have loved Esau I have Esau I have hated. He chose Jacob and refused Esau. So notice what he says. They are Israelites, verse 4. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Do you think that that sort of sets the stage for responsibility? They had been given all of these blessings because they were the people of God. And because they were the people of God, the responsibility is so so much greater for them than for the rest of humanity. These blessings serve to increase that responsibility. God had indicated this to Israel by the prophet Amos. This is what he said. You only I have known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for your iniquities. 
God is as God as Father punishes his children, every one of them, just like earthly fathers. It made their rejection, this made their rejection of God's truth by his son all the more egregious. And by the way, it speaks volumes to a nation like ours. Because we have been blessed with the foundation of Christian values and the enormous blessing of biblical preaching and teaching throughout our history. This was the very reason that our country was established. It was because from the very early Puritan days of those who came to America, they came for one reason, so that they could teach and preach the gospel and teach it to their children without interference from the government. That means that Our responsibility is far greater than other nations who do not have the Word of God as their foundation. We now see how we have these freedoms and this responsibility has been squandered and sacrificed on the altar of paganism as America increases its responsibility before the Almighty. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 48, everyone, everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. We have a nation that has the light of the gospel at its disposal. And people turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to its message. And it's the only message that can actually set them free from the bondage of sin that, that they're living in. The superfluous faith of those who had said they had believed in verse 31 is now seen as only a recognition of his person without any real commitment to him as Lord. We said before, it is possible to say, oh, I believe in Jesus without committing themselves to him as Lord There are many people who do this and they claim by word that they are Christians but their lives and their hearts are far from God. They have been deceived. He told them the truth and they were bent on murdering him. This has happened all through John. John 5, the Jews were seeking to all the more to kill him. John 7, why do you seek to kill me, he said. John, uh, John 8, they picked up stones to throw at him. This is in verse 56 or 59. Think of it. The seed of Abraham seeking to kill the one whom Abraham rejoiced to see. As we're told in verse 56. Abraham looked forward to the coming Messiah. He he loved God and desired to obey God. 
Hebrews 11 verse 13 says, All these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. Abraham rejoiced that the Messiah would come. Just like, and he wanted him to come, just like we desire that Jesus would return. We love the fact that he will return one day. It is our hope that he will return. So now, we come to the, to the center or the, the apex of the real problem with these Jews and consequently with all unbelievers. So watch it carefully. This is the reason why they were seeking to kill him. And this is the same reason why people hate and seek to malign or persecute the followers of Christ even today. Notice notice verse 37, if you will. It is because his word finds no place in them. Verse 40, it is because he has told them the truth. Verse 43, it is because they could not bear to hear his word. And in verse 47, there is the comparison of those who are of God who hear his word and those who are not of God who do not hear his word. This all centers around the Word of God. And a person's perception or judgment of it. It is unmistakable the connection between hating Christ and not receiving His Word. That means that a person's attitude toward God And the things of God are directly associated with their perspective on the Bible. A person cannot be of God who hates the Bible. Or despises its commands or refuses its precepts. Unlike Abraham, who loved God and believed his word, that same word found no place in these Jews. Now those words, finds no place, have a particular meaning about them. It means, the words find no place means to develop something in a positive way. Something develops. It goes forth. It advances in a positive way. It makes headway moving forward into something. It's sort of like when you give your child a task to do and they're working at it and you say to them, it looks like you're making some headway. You're making some progress. In other words, the word of Christ didn't make any headway into the hearts of these Jews. 
Their hearts were hard like stone. And with the advance of Jesus, every word, they became more murderous in their intent. The more he talked, the more they hated him. The more they hated him, the more they wanted to kill him. Even though he was telling them the truth. And I'm convinced that you can tell some people the truth and some people know it's the truth and hate you for it. And some people don't know it's the truth and they hate you for it anyway. The birds of hell were snatching the seed of his words away as they fell upon their ears. This is not the way those who believe the word respond. Paul gives us a good illustration of how those who hear the word of God respond to it. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. Notice with me, beginning in verse 11, Paul is speaking to these Thessalonian believers. And he, these are people who, who heard the word and did not refuse it. Verse 11, 1 Thessalonians 2.11. He says, for you know... For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. There's a, there's a sermon in itself. Exerted, ex- exhorted, encouraged, and charged you to work in, to walk in a manner worthy of God who called you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul exhorted them, charged them. Now verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. What does that mean? To receive the word of God. It means, it means to formally, uh, to formally accept something as authoritative. When Paul spoke to these Thessalonian believers, These Thessalonian Christians, they received what he said as coming from God and as over their lives. They took it as this is the authority for me as a Christian. Then he says, you accepted it. So what's the difference between receiving something and accepting something? Well, there is a difference. Subtle though it may be. To receive it is to understand that it is formally an authoritative thing over you. To accept it means that you react favorably to that. And consider that to be right and proper for your life. So the word of God They heard the word of God. They knew it was from God and that God was their father. Christ was their Lord and that His Word was authoritative over them and they received it joyfully. They took it in favorably and applied it to their lives. 
And he goes on and says that they, when they did this, they didn't receive it as the word of men, but they received it for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Is the work of God at work in you? What a contrast to see these Jews who are reminiscent of every unbeliever who hears the word of God. It doesn't make them feel good to hear about their sin. The question is one of examination. So here's the exam. How do you see the word of God? Do you see it as authoritative over your life? What is your perception of it? Does it hold sway over your life? Does it influence your life? How does it make you see the world around you? Has it developed in your life for the glory of Christ? Now Jesus reveals another comparison in verse 38 when <clears throat> between what he speaks from his father and what they act out from their father. So Jesus, when he spoke, he spoke what he was receiving from the heavenly father. And that was an authoritative word from heaven, which they rejected. So Jesus spoke divine truth within, with eternal realities. <clears throat> These Jews spoke and acted in objection to those divine truths, doing only their Father's will. This is very Important that we understand. Because what was happening was, we can almost envision Satan whispering in their ears and them reacting to his whispering and going about and doing that which they heard him say. Now, it's not an audible thing. It's not, it's not like turning on the radio or the TV and hearing voices. Although some people probably do hear voices. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about that which is naturally flows from their father to them. This is how the lost religious world operates. They study, they, they go to their universities, they study things, they learn things concerning religion, and then they tell those and teach those erroneous things to people who are oblivious of the truth. This is what the Jews did. They didn't teach the people the truth. Jesus came along with the truth and they hated what he said. Because you see, the truth would make these Jews out to be liars. And when people are void of truth, their conduct is in line with their father, the devil, as we will see in verse 44. 
And although Jesus had not yet divulged who their real father was, these words too must have just increased their anger and their rage against him. Now, again in verses 39 to 41, there is a contrasting dialogue between Jesus and his father compared to the Jews and their father. They claimed to be born of Abraham. But they were not doing the same things that Abraham did. So what were those things? Well, they're listed for us in Genesis chapter 26, verse 5. Turn to Genesis 26. Look at verse 5. I like to hear the pages turn. Genesis 26, verse 5. This is what God said about Abraham. Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Wow. Can't think of much better to be said about an individual than that. And from God, nonetheless... Abraham obeyed my voice. He kept my charge. He obeyed my commandments. He obeyed my statutes. He obeyed my laws. So Jesus said, if you were Abraham's offspring, spiritually speaking, if you were Abraham's offspring, then you would be doing the same kind of faith works that Abraham did. We're not talking about human works. We're not talking about do-gooders. Churchgoers, we're talking about people who genuinely from their heart love God and want to obey Him and have received His Word, and that Word is working in their life. This is what Abraham did. Abraham would not have had murderous intentions that these people had displayed against Jesus. That proved they were not of Abraham. Because Abraham loved, obeyed, and welcomed the truth. And they hated it and rejected it. Same's true today. Where you find people who love God, you'll find people who love, love the Scriptures. You'll find people who love the Bible. And if they don't love the Bible, then it's very suspect as to whether or not they're Christian. Well, the Jews are getting more angry by the minute as Jesus continues to insist and prove that they are not of Abraham or of God, but of Satan. And now the hate of their, the hate of their hearts comes forth with another blasphemy against him. A blasphemy that is worse than the ones that have been previously made. And it hit, they hit at the controversy over Jesus' birth. And they insult him by way of inference. They infer that he was born of sexual immorality. 
They say, we were not born of sexual immorality. Which is to say, you were. Looking at Jesus, you were. We have one Father, even God. Now, no doubt, they were thinking of the Old Testament Scriptures. Jesus was not deterred in His message of the truth that strips bare the pretense of, their, of these wicked Pharisees. They claimed God is their Father. And they were probably thinking of passages like Exodus 4, verse 22, where it says, Then you will say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. That's God speaking. Or Jeremiah 31, 9, I am a father to Israel. Or Deuteronomy 32, verse 6, Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish, senseless people? Is he not your father? David said in 1 Chronicles 29, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. They must have been thinking about these kinds of passages. God, we, we, God's our Father. Even, even God is. But they were thinking in a national sense. And it is true from a national standpoint that God was the Father of Israel nationally. But Jesus is not addressing their sinful behavior nationally. He's addressing their sinful behavior individually and personally. Which is how every single individual has to look at the scriptures concerning themselves. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord. Look at me. And when you look into the Scriptures, you will see yourself. And you will see it, it exposes the deep-rooted sin that is in the hearts of humanity. And even in our own hearts as believers, we grapple with it. Spiritually speaking, God was only the Father of those who believed His Word that He had spoken and continued in those words. People who say they believe the Bible but do not walk in it, do not continue in it, don't live by it, are not Christians. Jesus explains further in verse 42 that if God were their father, now they've claimed both Abraham and now God. If God were their father, he says, they would love him. They would receive him. They would accept him for who he really is. So what is the insult? The insult is and the blasphemy is that you were, you're an illegitimate kid, Jesus. We were not born of sexual immorality. God's our Father. Hmm. The statement really speaks of both His incarnation, that is His supernatural birth, and His mission as the Redeemer who came to save His people from their sins. 
Perhaps now they're beginning to understand his meaning about who their father really is. Their reasoning must have been, he cannot be insinuating that Satan is our father. For Satan is the father of the heathen. We're not heathen. So, they say with some sense of confidence in their own minds, they, 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 in their own deluded, deceived minds, they think they are the children of God when they're really not. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I fear that much of evangelicalism today thinks that same thing. That they're the children of God when they're really not. Because they name Jesus only by name and they do not commit their lives to Him. They do not acquiesce to His Word. They don't have any desire to obey what He says. They want to go out and live their lives the way they want to live them and sin with impunity. How many times does Jesus have to tell them that their attitude towards Him is the same as their attitude towards God in heaven? If they hate Him, they hate the Father. If they refuse His Word, they refuse the Father's Word. He told them in chapter 5, verse 23... Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. And He will say it again in chapter 15, verse 23. Whoever hates Me hates My Father also. Yet, He has not broken through to their senses. And so He asks this rhetorical question. Why do you not understand what I say? Why would the all-knowing Son of God ask such a question? Because it is rhetorical. It is, it is there so that they will, they will think about what He's saying to them. Did we not say that to our own children? Why don't you listen to me? I told you. And now comes the blow that centers again around his words. Notice what he says. Why do you not understand what I say? And now he answers this rhetorical question. It is because you cannot bear my word. You cannot bear it. What does that mean? Remember in verse 37 he said, My word finds no place in you. It's not making headway in you. But now, it is much more definite. You cannot bear it. He's saying they don't have the ability or the sufficiency to hear and respond in conformity to it. They can't hear it. And they can't obey it. They don't want to obey it. This is not just true of these Jews. This is true of every human being on earth. 
from the most educated to the least. You can preach the gospel to our generation in this first world setting. Or you can preach the gospel in the jungle to a people who have no sense of the modern world. And then the results are the same. They hate to hear it. They cannot bear it. It's because they're dead in their sins. They're dead. They can't respond to it. Not only can't they, they don't want to. And then he reveals the true reason that they have no room for his word and cannot listen to it in obedience. It is because Satan, the devil, is their father. Verse 44. Of all the statements made of people in the Bible, this has got to be one of the worst condemnations. You are of your father, the devil. Go out, look around you, watch people as they go about their business, about their lives, and realize that every single one of them that does not know Christ in the forgiveness of sin has Satan as their father. And such was the case with every one of us at one time. That is not a really uplifting message. But it's a true one nonetheless. In, in Matthew 13, where Jesus gave the parable of the sower, He said in verse 38 of that passage that the weeds sprung up and those weeds that sprung up were the sons of the evil one. That's Satan. In Acts 13, the Apostle Paul said to Elymas the magician, You son of the devil, you enemy of all, uh, of all righteousness. Could that be said of Satan? Certainly. The truth is, everyone that is born in sin is a child of the devil and does the works of the devil. Everyone. Hmm. People don't like to be associated necessarily with the devil, unless maybe they're devil worshipers. Um, but they are the children of the devil, and they do the works of the devil. What Jesus said about the Jews is true of everyone. People bear a resemblance to their father. And Satan is their father, and their works bear that resemblance. This is what Jesus is saying to them. So he goes on to illustrate the character of Satan and how that transfers from him to his children on earth. Notice first, he says, uh, in verse... Let me find it here. Uh, in verse... 
40, in verse 44. It is the will, it is to do, your will is to do your father's desires. And then he said, he talks about his character. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. He was a murderer. What are they wanting to do with Jesus? They want to murder him. They want to murder him. Satan loves violence and murder. He invented murder and passed it on to his children. He was the one who inspired the very first murder in the Garden of Eden when Cain killed his brother Abel. In fact, 1 John 3 verse 12 says Cain was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Can't get any clearer than that. Satan has plunged the entire human race into physical, spiritual, and eternal darkness and death. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says that Satan has in his possession the very power of death. And he loves it. One day, Satan will... Find that he is the recipient of death when he's cast into the lake of fire with his demons and every human being that followed him. Second, Jesus says that Satan is devoid of truth and was a liar. Notice what he says. When he, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. How many lies is Satan telling the world right now through his children? Scores and scores of lies are, are brought up to deceive people and to Turn people from the truth. Makes perfect sense that if Satan is devoid of truth, that he cannot stand in it. In other words, there is no connection of truth and Satan between truth and the devil. They are mutual opposites. His words are all lies and they flow from his nature and his character. He told the very first lie in the Garden of Eden. That is the very first lie on earth. His very first lie was in heaven. When he said, I will ascend above the throne of God. I'll be greater than God. That was a lie. He knew he couldn't be greater than God. But so puffed up was he with pride that he thought he could do this only to find out that he is cast out along with all of those demons, those angels that followed him. His words are all lies. He told the very first lie. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden? And then he said, you won't surely die. If you eat of it, 
Don't worry about it. Because God knows that if you eat of that tree, you'll be just like him, knowing good from evil. That was a lie. God had told them the truth. If you eat of it, you die. They ate of it, and they died spiritually, and eventually physically. Every time you see, see a death occur, remember that it came from that moment in the garden as the result of sin against God and His Word. And He hasn't stopped lying to this very day. He's still telling lies. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that people would rather believe the lie than to believe God. We see in Revelation when the angels preach the gospel from the air. What do men do? They stop their ears. They run for the caves. Mountains fall on us and hide us from the voice of Him who's in heaven. He's still deceiving people today with His clever disguise as an angel of light. One day he will be exposed for who he really is. And we're exposing him for who he really is this morning. Jesus said he is the father of lies, which means that he's also the father of liars. That's why today people flock to places. They flock to places where they can have their ears tickled with palatable things, with funny stories, with, with uh, things that make them feel good about themselves so that they don't have to think about their real relationship between, with, between them and God because they have a relationship already between them and their father, the devil. One day, all unrepentant sinners will share in the condemnation and punishment of Satan. You want to see the final end? Turn to Revelation chapter 20. This is... John sees a vision, this vision of the end after the thousand-year reign of Christ. He sees this vision beginning in verse 7, John, Revelation 20, verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the, into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's his end. And that's the end of every single sinner that refuses 
to repent and have their sins forgiven by a loving God who sent His Son to die for sinners. Follow on, verse 11. If you think I'm not telling you the truth, listen to what it says. Then I saw the great white throne and Him who's seated on it. From His presence the earth and sky fled away. There was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged at what was according to what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead in it. And death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged each one according to what they had done. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. So there's death and hell thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Listen, the only names that are found in that book of life are those from people of people who have repented of their sins before God and relied upon and trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And no one else. God will have His day of vengeance upon every sin and upon every unrepentant sinner, and even Satan himself. Is that you? Are you are you a born-again person today? Do you know Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Is He the master of your life, the treasure of your life? Do you love the Scriptures? Do you receive His Word with favor? With a desire to obey it? If not, you need to repent of your sins. This morning. Today. Because the scripture says today is the day of salvation. You have no guarantee that when you walk out these doors, you'll be able to ever hear it again. So trust Christ. Turn from your sins to Christ. He will save you and forgive you. And you'll have everlasting life. He promised it. And it's true. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you that we are able to gather. Thank you that we have the Word of God as our solace, as our, uh, as our guide, as our authority. Lord, your Word is precious to us. It tells us who we are, what we are, and where we're going, and how to get there. So I pray, Lord, that if if you have touched and opened the heart of one this morning, that they would that they would fall on their knees before your before your cross and confess themselves as sinners and find in Christ forgiveness. Do it, Lord, for the glory of your own name we pray in jesus name we pray amen thank you so much for being here today